Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. All right, everybody. Well, welcome to West Point, Mississippi once again. And, Lanny, I'm looking at you. You are sweating. Beat it up out there, man. This seed's going out the back door as fast as we can chunk it out there, man. It's, it's hot. And it's tough times. We got a couple of folks out with yeah. sickness, and, and and everybody's kind of having to do things they don't normally do. But it's so good for the for the place. Everybody getting back there, jamming it out, you know, getting stuff done. So I hate we're, we're short a few folks. And some of us are learning a new trade. That's all right. Yeah. Running that tape gun, yeah, Bobby. Uh, yeah, yeah. I see Bobby out Bobby there mastering. Had his, Bobby had his wife beater on out there the other day, driving the forklift. We around. should post pictures of Bobby running the forklift. You might Game have Keepers. a new career. You might. Yeah. 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 Bobby is a real life Michael Scott. <laughs> no oh, doubt about no, it. No and these pictures that. prove it. Yep. Yeah, so that's Neil Hayes who's joined us. I hadn't, in the got house. A, hadn't introduced, but we got Neil Hayes today. There's no telling. There's probably going to be some barbs thrown in different <laughs> directions today. I love sitting around you and Neil at the same time because it's just like, you know, combat. It, it is combat. <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad he's at the other end of the table. There. I'm just sitting in the middle. I'm just going to watch him go back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> so we got Dudley. How's everything in your world, Dudley, real quick? So far, so good. That, yeah. yeah, that's uh, good. You spending time at the farm? Yeah, we, we uh, did the first part of the poor man's no-till. We sprayed last weekend. Nice. And we're, we're going to be testing the rain fastness guarantee on some glyphosate because I, oh. I think I got about 15 minutes on one field. And then got a drenching. Before the bottom yeah. fell out. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. That sounds questionable right there. All right. So, so what did yeah. We, yeah. Well, you know, we last week you gave a tip. Don't, oh, yeah. Don't farm in your flip-flops. Yeah, that's and, a bad mistake. So do you have another one? Now I'm still working fixing my toe. If anybody's got any uh, tips on how to grow your toenail belt quicker, I would I appreciate to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds painful. Just so, message us, DM us. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, today we've got a really interesting podcast. We've got Ricky Flint from yeah. the, from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. That's right. My favorite state agency, by the way. Well, it is such a great agency, yeah, and I hear good things about him. But Lanny, I know you were nervous. You, we, it took you were the last one to get in here. He's in uniform. He's got a pistol on. Being around the game warden makes you nervous. Yeah. I know that. See if he recognizes me. Does this look right? Well, well he, he, I, knew, I knew something was a little familiar. I couldn't remember if it was the name 
the profile or uh, maybe something I saw in some historical investigations. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did ski without a life jacket one time. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I think it was more infractious than that. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, he must have got the good stuff. He fits whatever profile you guys have. He fits it. So. Yeah, so we're going to talk about alligators. Next week is the alligator season. And uh, Ricky Flint is the head wildlife biologist for the about alligators for the state of Mississippi. He's Am a I gator saying man. that right? The alligator program. That's right. Alligator program coordinator. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got, look, I, I like this guy a lot. He's got a twinkle in his eye. He's got a little smirk to him. Yeah. I can tell we're going <laughs> to have fun. You can tell he's going to fit right in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so this is going to be good. Neil's here because Neil's been on some hunts with Oh, yeah. Him and Riley are killed, so. big gator hunters. We all kind of kicked it off that first year it started. It's been fun ever since. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not a professional, but I've done it a handful of times. Yeah. Yeah, well, in fact, he's probably the one you need to be uh, watchful of, if, if, if anybody at the time. He's in that age bracket. <laughs> yeah, 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 the profile, that's yeah. true. <laughs> Except he won't post it on social media like some that's people good. are he's dumb learned. enough to do. He's, he's I, I hear every year that y'all catch people because they post pictures of themselves breaking the law. Ashley made a case last year before the season opened <laughs> for a group that was hunting before the season opened and posted it on social media. Wow. That is amazing. I think I Dumb saw, I saw news. that. I think <laughs> yeah. I saw that was on Facebook. Yes. Yeah, I saw that. that, that Whoops. Is, <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. I had their phone number, so I just called them. Hey, this is Ricky. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, so it's a big week. I mean, we've got a couple of guys here in the office. Jason McKellar, who runs yep. in the marketing department. He's got a tag. Mac Thatcher's Mac, got a Mac tag in over the in the Delta. Yeah. So they're all excited. They got we, we've got these big hooks on the table. They look like you, I mean they are, look like something you'd snag a body with on the bottom of the river. A horror but, show. Yeah. So uh, we've we've got that. We we've there's just a lot of excitement about alligators. The first one y'all had, Lanny killed a. I don't know how long was that. Well, we we hooked a giant, you know, and unfortunately he got away, and then ended up uh, catching a nine and a seven. So it was a. Pretty awesome first year for us. For a sure. nine foot gator is pretty big. Gator. Yeah, and I think really, you know, Neil might get on to me this say I'm kissing the game wardens, but but I mean, he had a school over in the Delta that when the first year uh, that we went over there, and I was fascinated to learn about the biology of the alligator and how they work and the history of them and everything else. So it's uh, even Jason and I, you know, because we've hunted, he's drawn before and he's hunted with me. We talk about trying to figure out some al- some alligator conservation work. I don't know how we can do it, but hmm. they're fun. Well, look, I'm gonna kick it off with the first question. Can you explain what what is the range of these alligators? They go over all, all the way over into Texas. I know they're in Georgia, but how far north do they go? Yeah, so there's there's only two true alligators in the world. You have the American alligator and then the Chinese alligator. Which I would ask you, could you guess where the Chinese alligator exists? Let me think on that for a minute. Can you? Yeah, we'll get back to that. Yeah. We'll let, 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 let it Google it first. Some smoke, smoke yeah. coming yeah. out of my ears. Why don't you fact check that, man? I'm feeling real comfortable here. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, alligators in the United States basically range from Central Texas all the way up the East Coast to uh, North Carolina. And then as far north and northwest, there's actually a, a population in the southeast portion of Oklahoma. Wow. And so, and, and everything in between. Obviously, from Florida to Louisiana, Texas is the majority of the population. So what put the uh, the idea of having a hunting season in place a few years ago? Did the population just get to a point where it was mandatory? Well, everybody associates 
alligators with being having been an endangered species, which they were. They were put on the endangered species list in 1967. Um, they were put in that status and protected for 20 years. They were talk, taken off the endangered species list all the way across the range in 1987. Uh, during that time, the populations rebounded very well. Uh, as a result, uh, the management uh, authority was handed over from the feds to the state wildlife agencies in 1988. And so um, in 1989, the Mississippi legislature uh, deemed uh, the Mississippi Alligator Management and Control Program, which was started and given to the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks in 1989. Uh, what that did was it gave our agency the authority to manage the alligators, uh, deal with nuisance alligators and have a nuisance management program. Uh, we, over the years, uh, through our records and keeping up with surveys and uh, population indices all across the state, uh, were able to obtain enough information that uh, when I started into the alligator program in 2003, um, there was a previous uh, biologist that was heading up the program then. Uh, there was no alligator hunting. And um, when when I took the position in 2003, my bosses basically told me, I want you to get your feet in here, uh, learn things, get this program back going again, uh, get things you know working correctly. And we want to pursue having an alligator hunting opportunity in Mississippi and start researching that and develop something. And so I started looking at all the other states. Long story short, um, what I was seeing going on in most of the states really didn't have a good fit. Um, you know, the alligator population in Louisiana is, for lack of a better word, is boo-coodles. More alligators, way more habitat available for alligators there than what is in Mississippi. Same thing with Florida. And everybody thinks of alligators, you think of Louisiana and Florida. Um, but as it fit in 2004, the state of Georgia started an alligator hunting season. I met their program coordinator at another meeting, and we got to talking uh, about how they were doing it. And there was a lot of things about what they were doing that I thought was a great fit for Mississippi. Uh, I was able to exchange a bunch of their information and basically mimicked what Georgia was doing in 2004 to start our first alligator hunting season in 2005. So I give Greg Waters all the credit for that. Um, we tweaked a few things. Um, we knew right off the bat that uh, we were looking at a very minimal opportunity. Um, and the goal always was, as long as we have a population that is suitable, that can withstand some regular limited take, let's offer that opportunity to the people of Mississippi. It's not necessarily about alligator population control. I don't think that's where we're at. I don't know if we'll ever be at that, but we do know that we have uh, an adequate population that can withstand some limited take. And so that's what we did in 2005. Very limited opportunity just on the Pearl River, right there north of Ross Barnett Reservoir. Within two years, we expanded down to the Pascagoula River had two zones going then. We did that for about six or seven years. 2012, we expanded to almost statewide. We had what is now uh, the entire state, less the northeast zone. You talked mm -hmm. about having uh, some tags there. So um, that was the goal all along was to 
just kind of put the hamster in the cage, see how things go, tweak it as we need, see how things uh, go, how the people respond to it. And it's been great. Um, and so we went to our first completely statewide alligator season in 2012 or 13. And uh, that's where we've been ever since. There's seven alligator hunting zones. And so alligators exist in the state from one end to the other. Uh, obviously, the northern uh, most counties have the least uh, dense population compared to the southern end. Jackson County alone, the Pascagoula River drainage is home to about 25% of the state's alligator population. Very widespread, consistent population down there. But there is not a more dense population in the state anywhere than what there is there at the Ross Barnett and Pearl River uh, area. Hmm. So, uh, Lanny, when you experienced it, mm-hmm. um, what I remember is you went to a school and they taught you everything you needed to know because you had a lot of questions. Oh, I had but a ton they of just, questions. They just didn't let you go out in the night and uh, start trying to kill an alligator. No, that was one of the most intriguing parts too. And I believe Ricky, you're the one that put the put the class on. I actually drove to Delta State University. There you go, Dudley. My alma mater. My alma yeah. mater. What is that? There. The fighting okra. Fighting okra. Yeah. Okras now. I love it. I love okra. Uh, but either way, it was really great. It was. A, it was. In, and Ricky took us through the biology, why they were here, what the native range was, every all kind of uh, great information, and then you know broke it down on hunting too. He even had a harpoon up there and showed us about that. So uh, I really uh, had a really good time. And again, it'll really the more you learn about them. You know, I'm a wildlife nerd, so the more you learn about any species, the more you're intrigued by them. Um, so. Yeah, it's just a cool, cool thing. I was always just super impressed by the way that they caught these alligators. And could you, you guys, explain that, Neil? You've been on some hunts, Lanny, obviously, but uh, could you kind of tell what a guy starts with? Yeah. So we allow four different methods to actually make the initial capture of the alligator. In Mississippi, we do not allow the use of bait. You can't use baited hook sets, anything like what you may have seen on a certain cable television show that we don't necessarily uh, talk much about. Um, (laughs) I'm trying to change my face. Um, uh, So it's it's about fair chase and and giving sportsmen an opportunity to go out there and and pursue these animals. So we allow uh, snatch hooks which are used by either a rod and reel or a hand line, like you, y'all have got there on the table. Uh, the, the snatch hook is basically cast over the alligator when it's at the surface, and you retrieve the line till the hook comes in contact with the alligator, and then you reel them in like a big giant tuna. Uh, you can also use harpoons, as long as the harpoon has a detachable point uh, attached to a buoy. Um, and so we, we uh, demonstrate that. You can also use a snare line. Um, uh, by by hand. So if you're fortunate enough to get close enough to an alligator, <laughs> Brave, you want fortunate. to slip uh, a snare by your hand or by a pole and get it over the alligator's head, you can catch it that way. Uh, we also allow bow fishing equipment, which this was the craze uh, when we started this because in Mississippi for so many so so long, you know, historically you couldn't hunt alligators in Mississippi, but there were a lot of people involved in bow fishing and for a bow fisherman to take an alligator is kind of like the apex of bow fishing in, in the United States. And so once we allowed that opportunity, a lot of those bow hunters got really interested in using their bow fishing equipment to take alligators. And so you can do that. All of that is an effort to bring the alligator alongside the boat, the vessel. 
And then you get a snare or a noose and put it around the alligator's head or at least one leg. So the alligator's control, we call that legally restrained. At that point, then you can take out a firearm, which we regulate that as well. Uh, you can use a long barrel shoulder fired shotgun using uh, number six shot or smaller. And for folks who don't understand that, that's number sixes, seven and a halves, eights and nines. Um, and I remember, and you probably remember this as well, when we first introduced the regulations and people saw that, that you're going to be hunting alligators with bird shot. Yeah. <laughs> they shot. Saw, Y'all have lost your mind. But it's all about safety. It's about protecting the resources well. Um, when you have an alligator alongside the vessel at point blank range, you can take that long barreled shoulder fired shotgun with bird shot put it in the correct location, discharge it, and the alligator uh, is dispatched quickly and humanely. Um, we're not interested in people going out and discharging firearms at free-floating alligators on the waterway. Two reasons. Very dangerous for the public who are on the water, and it's not good for the resource because you're just going to wound a lot of alligators that will eventually die. So that's that's the reason behind it. Yeah. That makes sense. So, Neil, when when you hunted, uh, did did you everything work out like you guys expected? Like they teach in the course? Yeah, uh, every every time has worked out pretty much uh, like you, the doctor wrote it up, except for one one time. Uh, we we were hunting on the Tom Beaver River one time, and it was probably about a seven foot alligator, and it was perfect size for what's the cutoff for the small yeah, alligator? So, yeah, seven feet. Yeah, so four you, foot you, to seven foot. Yeah, so. You get a tag for an um, alligator over seven feet, under seven feet. And so this was the one. It was just under, so it was like maybe six and a half feet. Got alongside the boat, and this thing just all of a sudden does a backflip and lands into the boat. And all of a sudden just starts hissing at us. I think Brooks was with us, and he goes, all right, it just got real. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we just this thing's alive and well on the bottom of the boat. and uh, Smiling at so us. So at that point, you know, we had to – we were all standing up on the edges and trying to figure out – what our next move was and um finally uh we were able to i think brooks was able to kind of sneak around behind it and kind of get come up behind it and get his hands on top of his head and kind of hold his mouth shut because once you get their mouth closed you know they, there's not a whole lot they can do you can kind of hold them especially a smaller one like that but for a second there we uh no harry and yeah well you can't we couldn't shoot the alligator one because we ha- we didn't have it um you know, strange. Snared, legally or strange, legally or strange, or you know, you know, don't want to shoot a hole in the bottom of the boat. So, yeah. Even more uh, you know, there were several reasons why we couldn't shoot the alligator. Don't want to sink in the alligator water. Yeah. But uh, anyway, we were able to get the situation under control, and um, and nobody got bit or anything. Which was my first question. I wanted to ask Mr. Ricky here, but um, how many how many different occasions have you heard of people actually getting bit, and how severe have some of the cases been? That's a good question. Uh, overall, it has been extremely safe. Um, there have been, I think I've recorded four instances uh, over the 18 years now where people had accidents that were significant enough to require some medical attention. Uh, it ranged from uh, a minor bite on the palm of the hand uh, to uh, one person who was actually bit on the hand and pulled halfway overboard, required some surgery, had broken bones. Um, I've got another person who uh, was in the uh, process of trying to restrain the alligator and get the tape over the mouth uh, while it was still alive. They had not dispatched it yet, 
Uh, they wanted to measure the alligator to decide where they wanted to keep it or not. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things we teach in the training course is don't put your hands on the side of the mouth of the alligator while you're taping it. You want to hold it by the tip of the snout because if they're going to thrash side to side, you want your hand on the tip where you can just let go. If your hand is on the side and you lose grip, your hand goes inside the mouth and Ooh. you I cannot describe how fast they close their mouth when they sense, when they feel something touch the inside of their mouth, they clamp down on it. And that's what happened to him. The alligator thrashed to the side. His hand got inside, and he also got uh, some significant injuries. But other than that, um, I had one uh, grandfather that hooked his grandson uh, in the back of the boat Oof. while he was attempting to cast. Put <laughs> <laughs> one of those treble hooks in his back. Oof. Yeah, that's a rough one. Ouch. So, yeah, I mean, other than that, uh, and when you think about it, it's, it, I'm, I'm not sure how many thousands, but it, but since uh, 2012, we're running, you know, 3,000, 3,500 people involved every year. So we're we are now looking at, Tens of thousands of people who have participated. It's amazing. Very yeah, amazing. It, it reminds really me of sharks. Is like you, they just have this rap of like oh, they're just dangerous species. Don't get in the water, or they'll bite you. And we've been swimming in the Tom Beaver River our whole mm-hmm. lives, whole and life. nobody's ever gotten bit by a shark. Yeah. Uh, I didn't okay. know alligators were in the river until like ten yeah. years ago. So um, yeah, I think they're not near as dangerous as they seem. So what are some of the bigger gators that are be- being killed? Um, you know. Um, Social media has been a great thing uh, for alligator hunting. There's a, uh, and I'll I'll plug them. They have there's a, a Facebook page called the Mississippi Alligator Hunters Facebook page, and uh, they they started that page. Um, gosh, I don't know, maybe around 2010 or so. But they've got about six or eight thousand members now, and um, they have done a good job of promoting safety and everything, but through that, they have uh, developed what they call like the 12-foot club, the 13-foot club. And there's only two people who have made into the 14-foot club. Uh, we've, we've recorded two alligators in Mississippi through uh, legal hunting that exceeded 14 feet. One's 14 and a quarter inch, one's 14 feet and a half inch. Uh, Tight race. So, yeah. yeah. And, um, but I would say... Uh, you look at the numbers of how many, you know, seven footers, eight footers, nine footers, so on. Uh, the vast majority uh, every year is made up of six to seven foot alligators. Uh, and that's because of the, the, the situation. We do allow you to take two alligators, but only one of them can exceed seven feet. You can take two of them under seven as long as they're over four feet. So the majority of the people will try to take one alligator as close to seven feet but under as possible. So that six-foot range category makes up the largest part of the harvest. And then, as most people do, they, they try to get the next one they want to be the trophy. Mm-hmm. And I think for the most part, most people consider a 10-foot or larger as a trophy. Uh, there's a lot of 10- and 11-footers. Uh, there'll be a, a fair number of 12-footers. And then every year... Anywhere from three, five to as many as 12, 13 foot alligators recorded every year in the harvest. So, so roughly, what, what does a 11 or 12 footer weigh that's healthy? Yeah, a healthy one. Um, well, I like to compare 12 footers. Okay. Um, you can put two 12 footers side by side 
and they could vary in weight as much as three or 400 pounds. Wow. Uh, you take a 12-footer that comes from the southwest zone, a west-central zone, anything that joins the Mississippi River where the soils are the richest, you get the uh, food pyramid involved here and alligators being the apex predator, it compounds to the alligator and their body mass is much larger over there than they are, say, in central Mississippi. But uh, you could have a 12-foot alligator that would weigh less than 400 pounds to in excess of six or 700 pounds. Wow. A lot of variation. That's a big spread. How old a gator would that be? You know, that's, that's another good question. So there's no really good accurate way to age alligators. Uh, you think of aging deer, you know, tooth wear. It doesn't work with alligators. Their teeth are replaceable. Uh, an alligator can go through dozens of sets of teeth within its lifespan. We know that alligators can live as long as 50, 60 years in captivity. We really don't know how long they can live in the wild. We suppose that they could probably live at least 70 years, maybe as long as 100. But uh, some of the records that we've done with tagging alligators, uh, known ages of alligators, uh, a 12-foot alligator could be as young as 20 years old, uh, but could be easily over 50. What about, uh, are the big ones typically males or females? The largest ones are the males. Mm -hmm. Females typically grow much slower. Uh, The females become sexually mature around five to six feet. Um, And uh, the record uh, female alligator is 10 feet, two inches, of which uh, is one alligator that I captured and tagged uh, in 2009 uh, that ties a record in the state of Florida from 1984, I think it was. Wow. Uh, but for females to exceed nine feet is is not that common. Um, so to to see an out a female in the ten foot range is really unique. Or I can't remember on the harvest report. Do you, are they sexing them when they're given in the harvest report? We do ask them to provide sex for the alligator. And so, what a ratio of male to female is being harvested? Do you think? So. That's another good question. Uh, because of the uh, strategy of allowing folks to only take one alligator over seven foot, it winds up that the vast majority of the female alligators taken are going to be under seven. Those are typically juvenile alligators. So uh, it's about 25% of the harvest winds up being females, mm-hmm. uh, which, is a, which is a good biological, yeah. biological strategy. And then we also wind up with half the harvest being over seven feet and half the harvest being under seven feet. So it works out really well. That's probably one of the things I'm most proud of and trying to set things up from a biological standpoint uh, was the one over seven, one under seven uh, strategy to distribute the harvest juveniles versus breeding adults. Uh, and, and it's working out really well. Good deal. Yeah, You know, it's kind of hard to, I, I guess a male and a female look a lo- look alike. You, you've got to do some kind of. Uh, you were talking. Got to push it around there. Yeah, you got to make a thing stick out of there. Yeah. <laughs> As I told uh, uh, a name, y'all will recognize Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah. We told him when we were doing a show with him, there is nothing uh, on the exterior that you can use to identify a male or female alligator from each other. You have to do an internal exam. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we could describe later in detail if you want to. So do you guys know which part of the alligator is the greenest? The greenest. The greenest, the greenest. Like in color? 
Yeah, the color green. I mean, I'm I think the scoots, but I don't know. Does anybody else have a guess? I'm waiting for the punchline. Uh, it's coming. He's full of it. Yeah. That's for sure. It's the outside. You need a shirt that says "Dad Joke King." So, tell us a good gator story. You've probably heard bunches of good hunting stories about these things. What's the best one you've heard? Well, there's there's so many. Um, maybe one of the best ones is one to tell on myself. Um, we had a had a beaver trapper one time call the office that had caught an alligator um, in a beaver trap. In a conibear? I've got, I've got two stories to tell about beaver beaver traps. and con- Yeah, conibear. Yeah. Um, he brought it uh, to the office. Uh, it was still alive. With the conibear on it? With the conibear on it. <laughs> and um, I, Hey, y'all. I, basically told him, I said, you know, if you'll bring the alligator up here to the office, I said, I'll... I'll get it. I said, I'll tag it and we'll relocate it and use it as part of our research program uh, and do that. And he brought it to the office. Um, we had that. I tied the alligator. The alligator's legs were tied up. And uh, our magazine editor uh, had interest in going out there and getting some really close up photographs of the alligator uh, while it was there. And I said, sure, come on out. So we untaped the mouth of the alligator, let him get some photographs, you know, real up close and use those for publications and stuff. And then he was done. It was time to take the alligator's mouth up, back up. The alligator's legs are tied up just like you would uh, during the hunt. You know, legs were tied behind the back. And this is where I made my worst ever mistake handling an alligator. I just thought to myself, this alligator's restrained enough. I'll just go down here and I'll hold the alligator's mouth shut, tape him up, and put him back in the truck and carry him back to the lake. And um, even with the alligator's legs taped over its back, when I reached down to go down and uh, hold the alligator's mouth shut, the alligator uh, swung around, uh, grabbed me by the leg, actually not by the leg, by the pants leg, and uh, started the death roll. And I went to the ground with the alligator, and first thing I did was grab the alligator by the mouth while he was holding on to my pants because I knew if he opened his mouth, I was going to be in a bad situation. Held the alligator's mouth shut while a bystander went to my pickup truck and got the electrical tape out of the door and we taped the alligator's mouth shut, which then I was in the predicament of this alligator's holding me by the pants leg. How am I going to get out of this? So then I told him, I said, go get that piece of wood out of the bed of my truck. I let the alligator's mouth open just enough, stuck that board inside of his mouth, taped him back, used my pocket knife to get my pants leg unfrazzled through his teeth, got out of the alligator's mouth and taped him back up and took him back. That's rough having to hold an alligator's mouth closed while it's on you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the adrenaline, the adrenaline gets up. I don't know if my brain could have processed that. I don't either. Oh, my goodness. So I know my pants wouldn't have been looking that good. I thought we were trying to recruit more hunters. Into yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you, you mentioned death roll. So that's when a, when a gator grabs something, they, they start spinning. And is, right. that, is that process to... What are they doing when they do that? So it is the natural instinct for the alligator. When they grab their prey is to bring it underwater. Uh, if the prey item is too large, then it's typical for them to grab on and they just start rolling their body, spinning their body. And uh, some of that is to cause trauma, to break bones, to uh, 
cause whatever prey item it is to become disoriented and they pull them underneath the water for them to drown. And then, as most cases, if the prey item is too large for them to swallow, which a lot of people don't understand, people think of alligators attacking humans and eating humans. Uh, uh, an alligator has to be, ex- uh, you know, 12, 13 foot to be able to even take a raccoon and be able to swallow it in one gulp. I mean, their mouth is only, is their, the throat is only so wide. So most alligators, when they take prey items like, like raccoons or uh, beaver or deer or something like that, they drown the, the prey and they take it somewhere and they stash it. Uh, and they allow decomposition to start to take place. And then they'll come to that carcass, grab it, and they'll spin like that to pull off bite-sized parts mm. of that carcass to be able to swallow it. And that's typically where the death roll takes place. But it is a natural response to them. Um, when we put a snare over them uh, to try and uh, restrain them, they start that. That's their natural response is to twist and roll out of it. They, um, we, we've always heard around here, you know, that they were brought in for beaver control. Uh, and, and then I think even maybe you said that a beaver will bite them back. Is that they right? Will. Yeah. So yeah. there was actually a study done in the 1970s here at Mississippi State down on the Knoxby National Wildlife Refuge, uh, with alligators and beaver. And, uh, one thing they did discover then was that beaver, uh, do have that response that when they are attacked, they will turn around and bite whatever is biting them. And alligators learn by condition that when they bite an alligator, they better grab it by the head because that, the beaver is going to bite the alligator back. And so um, we, they also learned during that time that alligators will not control a beaver population. If you spend a lot of times out in the rivers and the swamps, you will see right. alligators and beavers living cooperatively together. Mm-hmm. They do consume them. They do prey upon them, but they do not control the population. So were they were they brought in here? Do you think they were brought in here for, for beaver control? The, the initial uh, translocation of alligators that was done in Mississippi during the 1970s was kind of uh, disguised, not disguised, but described as uh, if you've got beaver problems on your property, the state would actually give you alligators that we received from the state of Louisiana in the early 1970s, you could actually come to the fairgrounds at Jackson, Mississippi, and get you a croaker sack full of alligators to carry <laughs> yeah. back to your property. Oh, and I've actually, oh, wow. I've actually met some of the landowners, uh, one from Cahoma County in uh, 2003, who was one of the first recipients of some of those alligators back in the 1970s. And he still has a population of alligators on these properties that came from those translocations back in the 70s. Oh, one of the hot spots here is actually surrounded by old private line of Clay County, Big Duck, Carsey's dad. And I think that he was one of the guys. Yep. He, I guess he got a Kroger sack and brought him up and dropped him off in TV. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> Mississippi Clark, Clark received Clark about yeah, 5,000 alligators from the state of Louisiana between 1970, 1975. They were actually brought back in cattle trailers, horse trailers, pickup trucks, uh, Caught from a place called Rockefeller National, not in Rockefeller National, Rockefeller Refuge, which is right near uh, Cameron, uh, Louisiana, near the Texas border. Mm. Uh, one of the largest research facilities in the country. Uh, that's where the largest proportion of alligator research and knowledge has come from. So what are their preferred prey items? They're very opportunistic. So whatever is most abundant in the area is what they're going to take. 
they are very fond of snakes. Mm. Uh, they're very fond of turtles, uh, wading birds, waterfowl, uh, slow uh, common fish like uh, carp, gar, things like that. They will take game fish, but it's strictly by opportunity. Um, snakes and turtles, and I would say uh, even uh, cotton rats, swamp rats that live, uh, some nutra and mm-hmm. beaver, about uh, raccoons, things like that. But I've actually had uh, landowners that called about nuisance alligators on their property in a private pond, go catch the alligator, remove it, and actually had them call me back within about two years and ask me, could I bring the alligator back? <laughs> yeah. Because the snake populations came back. They will control a snake population where they exist. Are they feeding on the snakes when the snakes are traveling on top of the water? Mm-hmm. Yep. Gotcha. I've actually watched alligators go to the surface and almost skim across the surface in pursuit of snakes. Wow. They can be very fast. I'd like to see that. Uh, You like them better now. Yeah, absolutely. Your best friend. (laughs) So speaking of food items, what are some uncommon things? Like I'm I'm sure you've done like stomach content studies. What, What are some of the weird things you found? In their stomach or heard of people. Yeah. So in, I think it was around 2010 or 11, uh, we did a cooperative study with the University of Southern Mississippi Biology Department. Uh, they were doing a study on some endangered species of turtles on the Pascagoula River. And because of the uh, harvest that we were doing and the mandatory check-ins there, they asked to uh, try and retrieve the stomach contents of the alligators that were being brought in. And so... That, that season, uh, we retrieved all the stomach contents out of each alligator, and they took those and then took them back for analysis. Uh, they were looking to see if they were eating turtles and if what if they were, what species of turtles were they preying on. They found turtle remains, but they found zero uh, remains of this endangered species that was there. But in that process, we found some very odd items. We found um, sticks. We found raccoon carcasses, nutra carcasses, uh, blue crab, a tremendous number of blue crab. Mm, hey, uh, those a, alligators I don't down blame there, them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't blame they them. They taste better. <laughs> yeah. uh, particularly in that age class below, eat a lot of blue crab. Uh, we found shotgun shells. Uh, I found water bottles. Um, <laughs> I found a taillight lens from a boat trailer. Um, you still, my, do you still have that? Shiny. Lanny might need that. Yeah. <laughs> <That's probably mine. laughs> yeah. Uh, we found a, a chum bag that was made out of a pair of ladies' pantyhose uh, that they obviously had eaten because of the, the smell of the chum that was inside of it. Um, Did you ever happen to find an outboard motor that uh, yeah, may, may belong to Lanny? <laughs> I'm missing one of those, too. <laughs> you know, and, and so when an alligator uh, takes its prey— if it's large enough for them to swallow, whatever else winds up in their mouth at the time is going to go down. You know, they're not like us. They don't have arms and opposable thumbs and fingers where they could you know, take whatever's yeah. in there. And, and they probably can't tell the difference in it. But uh, weeds, grass, uh, sticks, shotgun shells, uh, these types of things, whatever's floating in the area, it winds up in the stomach and uh, they can digest Everything there is about an animal carcass, except for teeth and uh, nails, and then some of the hair. Um, I would think that turtle shell would be, you know, hard going in, but rough coming out. So they, they got to have. They can actually digest the bone. Uh, and we had we took photographs. There was a raccoon carcass in one of those alligators, and it was 
I don't know, I would say probably 75% digested, but the the skeleton was still intact and you could pick it up with a stick and it just was as limp as, you know, pasta. Wow. Uh, So there, the, the, the pH of the inside of an alligator's stomach is somewhere around, uh, what was it like six? No, 2.1, 2.1. So, uh, that's like battery acid. Yeah, that's, that's a low fur right there. there. Yeah. That's a low fur. <laughs> yeah. Do you think a lot of these alligators get poached? A, little, a high percentage of them? There, I'm a firm believer that um, there's a certain population of, of humans, no matter where you go, they're going to poach. People are going to take things. Out of season, they're going to do things outside of regulations. Yes, there is still poaching going on. Um, one of the things that actually helped the rebound of the alligator population was uh, alligator farming that was developed in Louisiana in the 1970s. Um, because of that, it took a lot of the pressure off the commercial market for alligator hides. Um, before there was alligator farming, all the alligator hides that were put into textiles came from wild alligators harvested. And that was where the interest was in poaching alligators was for the hide. And that's why hides back in that day were so expensive. Uh, with alligator farming, that has taken the pressure off of wild alligators and the need to uh, harvest those alligators for that for that process. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Never thought about that. I just I would just imagine with some people though seeing a, a big alligator floating somewhere, that is just mighty tempting to them if they're the only person out there on the river. That- people people have a tendency to do that. That they, they when they see a large alligator, I hate to say it, and it's not just a Mississippi thing, it's everywhere. People just want to shoot it and kill it. And it's it's a very sad thing. As conservationists, I hate it. Um, you know, if you're going to uh, kill something, you need to be killing because you're going to take it and use it and do something with it. We Amen. do make cases with this every year, uh, particularly along the Mississippi Delta, along the Mississippi River Levee, uh, when it's flooding and these alligators get dislocated uh, and are, are playing, uh, are basking up on the Mississippi River Levee and things like that. We make cases every year of people that just they're just shooting the alligator just to kill it. And, and I mean, Ricky, you can affirm this, but a, a gator in the water with a rifle, that's not a high percentage take. Their, their brains are really small. You're shooting right. them with a shotgun to sever their spinal cord from the back of their head. So it's a very low percentage. Very low percentage out there. It's just not, it's just, it's not Your target is basically one inch by one inch mm-hmm. yeah. with something moving, floating. And it's low very ground. dangerous. Right. I mean, you're shooting a projectile on the water. Once it hits, it ricochets, and you have no control yeah, where that bullet hit goes. my house. Sure. So, no good. So, Dudley, you grew up in central southern Mississippi and mm-hmm. a lot, around a lot of large private landowners. Did gators suddenly start showing up in ponds and stuff? And um, From what I remember, you know, if you were closer to the Pearl River and the reservoir area, uh, you, you would see them uh, moving around a little bit. Um, I remember... Uh, when I was a kid, one showed a really big one showed up at a at a place of business right there on the Pearl River, and it made the news and stuff. But I don't think they moved around a whole lot. But I'm not a biologist either, so they will get out. And I mean, oh, we yeah. hear of pe- people that didn't have an alligator last year, and all of a sudden right. this year they have an alligator. So is that gator traveling looking for a mate or something? Yes. So in I'm trying to secure that breeding opportunity, yeah. 2007. <laughs> 
I started a tagging program where we would go and catch alligators in the natural habitats, measure them, get GPS locations, tag them, turn them back loose there. We also started tagging some of the alligators that we as an agency, our officers and our agent trappers were catching nuisance alligators and relocate them. We tag them, keep that information, put that into a database. Over time, we have learned that relocating alligators, number one, is very ineffective, very inefficient. Uh, we know that these alligators will move as much as 30 miles. Wow. To go back crazy. to the exact location where they originally came from. Our officers had kind of uh, theorized that over the years. And we talk about you can't identify one on an alligator from the other unless you mark it some way. So now that we're tagging them, you have a way to identify that individual. Uh, we also know from uh, some of the records of these tagged alligators, we have one alligator that we know moved as much as 52 miles. Uh, mm. One that was tagged in Mississippi uh, near uh, Eagle Lake wound up at Lake Village, Arkansas, uh, and was taken there as a nuisance alligator. Uh, we figured out by path of water, least resistance, 52 miles. Um, so, and I, I've I've seen alligators that we've removed some from places that the nearest body of water was over five miles away. Uh, I basically tell someone if you are near one of our major river systems. And any of its tributaries, you were subject to have an alligator in your yard, on your property, anywhere. Um, and so uh, I I will never be surprised at the location of where, where an alligator up. shows up in Mississippi. Is yeah. there a, a breeding season, a rut, or anything else like that? So the breeding season usually starts about mid-April, mm -hmm. goes through uh, about the 1st of June. Uh, alligators start nesting uh, during the last week of June, first week of July. Cool. Are they making any kind of noise out there that you could hear and know that's what's going on? They they do make a vocalization. <laughs> it's not a true, it's not vocal cords. It's basically movement of air through their glottis, uh, which is the throat, if you will. Can you make the noise? I can't. Yeah. No, it, it sounds like, it sounds hmm. somewhat like a cow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At, a, at a distance. Yeah. Uh, if you get out, if you get out on the water uh, during the night in April and May. You'll hear what it might kind of sound like a cow bellowing in the distance, but it's probably an alligator. Yeah. The male. In rut. Mac, why don't you look <laughs> on the internet and see if you can find that sound for us. So, so, Lanny, while he's doing that, one of the things we wanted to call Chuck Sites, if you've got your phone. Oh, I didn't know I was supposed to bring my phone. Well, Let's you know, see. usually you it's have right your phone here. with you. Let me turn my Bluetooth. So, uh, Chuck Chuck is uh, the director over at Alabama. He's been on our show for Ricky, I think you know him. I do. <clears throat> so, Alabama season just came in, so we're going to touch base with with Chuck, find out about how their season started, and he's got an alligator story to tell us. So if you oh, would good. pass that note there to him. Pass the notes in class. Yeah, so uh, while we're doing that, Mac had a question. He was asking, do the alligators go dormant in the winter around here? Or yeah, so alligators are cold-blooded, uh, so they cannot regulate their body temperature other than what their environment is. So uh, when air temperatures, water temperatures reach about 70 degrees, they can actually no longer digest their food, which is an interesting fact. Uh, people talk about being concerned about uh, alligators on, on the water while they're duck hunting during the winter. Uh, what I always tell people is, well, I cannot verify that an alligator wouldn't attack your dog, but I can't understand why he would attack a dog if he's not intending to eat it. He's not going to attack it to eat it because he cannot digest it during the winter. Uh, they basically stop feeding 
in about September. Um, they, it might go into October if the water temperatures stay above 70 degrees. Mm. So they do go dormant. It's not a true hibernation. That's interesting. Okay. And they'll just lay on the bottom? They can lay on the bottom for days at a time. Their total body functions just shut down. Respirations, uh, blood flow. Um, they can actually store oxygen in their blood. Wow. Uh, alligators and crocodiles are the only uh, animals we know of in the world that can do that. They can store oxygen in their blood so that when they s- completely shut down respirations, they have enough oxygen inside them to uh, maintain life. I told you it's an intriguing animal. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. Also, they're amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, dinosaurs. I was yeah, reading, that's right. uh, reading up on them. They've, they've got a, a specially designed heart that a lot of other reptiles don't have that, that helps with that. Yeah. So do alligators, and especially in South Florida, where that the temperatures never drop below that, do they just never go dormant? Right. They they may never experience dormancy in South Florida. They just eating all the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's when they get big. So yeah. All right, Lanny, you got Chuck you there. Dial in Chuck here. Let's see if his phone works. Yep. Did you plug the landline in over there? Uh, okay. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I'm assuming. Uh, oh, there there we go. There we go. Mac. 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 Okay. I found the mating call. Oh, Wildlife and freshwater fishers. Oh, yes, ma'am. Uh, we are trying to reach uh, Mr. Chuck Sykes, if we could, please. Okay, my town is calling. Yeah, this the is, Bobby Cole. <laughs> the Bobby Cole. We could have fun and tell him that we're the uh, dog hunters club <laughs> calling to harass him, but just tell him that, that uh, the Gamekeeper's podcast is calling him. Okay, cho- hold on just a minute. Got a chopper in the room. Dog left. Hello. Hey, Chuck Sites. (laughs) Yeah, we've got Chuck Sites here, the director of game and fish for the the state of Alabama. If I've got that title right, I always booger that one up for you, Chuck. It's close. It's close enough. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're sitting here. We got Neil Hayes with us, of course, Lanny and Dudley and Mac, and then we've got Ricky Flint, who's been saying, "I don't know." He's uh, he says he knows you, Chuck. (laughs) He he does. Like I said in my text, I. I didn't know if Ricky was still working for Mississippi, but I guess he's employed now. Working is optional. Well, yeah, he, he from listening to him talk, sounds like he's a busy fella, especially yeah, right especially now. Gator season about to start. Uh, yes, he he has been gatoring for Mississippi and fur bearing for Mississippi for a long time. I I, I knew Ricky back in the old TMA days. <laughs> That's what he said. So, the management advantage. So yeah, he's been telling us what's going on. You know, our season is about to start in a couple of weeks, and there's guys here that have uh, tags, uh, Mac and uh, Jason and McKellar. They're going to get after them. But we understand y'all season may have started p- this past weekend. It did. It came in at, at sunset Thursday. We have two weekend seasons basically that come in at dark on Thursday and, and end at sunrise on Sunday. And second phase will will kick in uh, tomorrow. Uh, yeah, tomorrow night and end up Sunday. And then we have two zones over in the southeast corner of the state that goes just a little bit longer. We try to mirror. Georgia's regs to try to eliminate some confusion, but the uh, majority of our alligator hunting will be over with Sunday morning. Yeah. Has anybody, have you been hearing of people having luck? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had we had quite a few turned in this weekend and in all of the zones. The West Central Zone is really one of the most coveted areas over in Dallas County below Camden and uh, always kill some big gators over there. And I think there were a couple of 12 footers, some five and six hundred pounders. So 
it's a uh, it's a big deal. People love it. We have quite a few applicants every year. To, we only give out two hundred and sixty tags, so it is a very coveted tag to get. Wow! How many people apply? There'll be probably five or six thousand. Wow! Apply for two hundred and sixty tags. Yeah. So it's uh, and it usually takes people four to five years to get drawn. We have a preference point system. Again, we we talked with Ricky through a bunch of his trials and tribulations trying to figure it all out. So we're at the preference point system stage of the game right now. And it usually takes somebody several years, but it the system's working. And if you hang in there, you'll, you'll typically get drawn for one of the zones. Uh, Mac may have to fact check me on this, but uh, – was, Chuck, wasn't the world record uh, alligator killed around Miller's Ferry? It was. Uh, August 16th, uh, 2014, 15 foot four, 1,011 pounds. Mm, that's a big one. <laughs> that really was. <laughs> that Alabama River now, I mean, that's where I had some, my first experiences with them was in, you know, and in, in down there at Portland and Dallas County and all that stuff. It's some, it's some gator territory down yeah, there. There's some evil is. turkeys in those swamps, No too. doubt about it. <laughs> Chuck, what's an alligator that size? In your opinion, how old was he? Everybody was speculating the thing, you know, was 100 years old, and they actually sent off. And, I, Bobby, I, you're going to make me lie, but it was either 26 or 46 years old. It wasn't nearly, and it seems like it was in the 20s, that it wasn't as nearly as old as everybody thought it was going to be. He was a superstar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think well, one more year. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, Lanny, you think about it. You know all the hogs and deer oh, and all that in that part of the yeah. world. He was not once going you get over. Yeah, once you get over about eight feet in that part of the world, you own that part of the world, and he had him a good location and <laughs> had all the feed he could say grace over. <laughs> Just that's worked. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. He wasn't, what is it? He wasn't uh, surviving. He was thriving. When yeah, he no was. doubt. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and they caught him in like a 17-foot boat, ooh. took him, you know, three-quarters of the night to get him subdued and, and killed, and then couldn't get him in the boat, had to just tie him to the boat, and everybody sit on the other side of the boat and limp back to the landing to get a front-end loader to get him out. I mean, yeah, it was, a, it was an ordeal. It was all smiles of it when they got back to the boat ramp. I bet it was. Absolutely. Wow. Well, Chuck, did you have a really – somebody said you had a really good gator story you wanted to tell. I've got a bunch of them. They're probably not as good as what Lanny could come up with. But <laughs> Never uh, let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, I mean, we, we've had quite a few. That was one of the best, but I don't need to tell it. You need to get Mandy and John Stokes on, on here with you to, to talk about that because it was a – five or six or maybe even seven hour process to get that that gator to the boat um mine are are not nearly as as exciting as that but i did i i put in every year just like everybody else does i go through the system just to make sure everything works and on year it was either year five or year six i drew a tag and drew the west central zone over there around camden Mm -hmm. Well, each of year, yeah, okay, right. yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Each year, we have tons of nuisance gator complaints. 
We do it, have it down at the coast and all throughout the state. Somebody will get a four-foot gator in their pond, and they call us because he's going to kill all of the grandkids and the dogs <laughs> and all that. So we spend a lot of time and energy working on these nuisance gators. I'm sure Ricky has got a bunch of stories about those, too. But there were we had had a couple of complaints on nuisance gators over in that part of the world. So I said, that look, that suits me. I'd just soon go remove a nuisance gator, utilize it properly with a tag, and that's a good story. I, I'm solving I'm solving an issue, and the folks that are going with me are going to have a good time. So we get to the pond after we had been in the river five or six hours looking. I said, come on, let's just go to the pond. We got to the pond about 1 o'clock in the morning. Couldn't get the boat in the water because it was too shallow and it dropped off too deep. So we had about a 10-foot John boat that had a pretty good leak in it. So we're out there with no trolling motor, me paddling and got a buddy in the front of the boat. And there was there was two gators in there that were probably eight or nine feet. They were respectable uh, gators. And after about the fifth time of me paddling all the way across this 10-acre pond to get him within range, and he missed, and then he missed again and missed again, I finally told him just to duck, and I got up enough speed, and from the back of the boat, I cast over his head and hooked the alligator. (laughs) Thank goodness, rather than running straight away from us, he turned and ran up under the boat twisted us around and broke the line. And at that point, I said, all right, that's enough. We're getting out before we end up upside down in this pond with a with two eight-foot alligators. So I, I with just a hole in the bottom of the boat, yeah. <laughs> with a hole in the bottom of the boat. That, that was not the wisest thing that I've ever done in my life. And that uh, when he rocked the boat and he went up under, thankfully the line broke. And I, I came to my senses and said, it's not quite worth this. <laughs> Mm. We've had several that we've hooked run straight under the boat to get unhooked. It's, I don't know if it's a Does defense. It out? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's a defense mechanism or not. They're figuring out they're not running away. They're coming at you. The last couple we've yep. actually done that. Wow. And then run straight under the boat and pull the line. Mm-hmm. Well, Chuck, uh, so well, the, you got hunters that'll be starting again this Thursday night. Is that yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Starting tomorrow night. Absolutely. Yeah. So well, we, the we, waters will be full. We hope everybody stays safe and has a good time. That's it. Uh, it. You know, over the years, it's gotten safer and safer. The first year or two that I was here, um, I went down and rode with some of my officers um, down in the Camden area, and we were riding around, and we passed this slough, and you could just see a silhouette of a boat up in there with no lights on. Well, that's a little illegal, so we eased up in there, and there was an old pontoon boat with about 10 people on it that they had dragged down from somewhere around Mentone or Fort Payne. They had never set foot on the Alabama River, and there was two guys up under the console trying to get the lights working, and this is like 2.30 in the morning. So we've seen a little bit of everything, but each year people are getting a little more accustomed to it. Their equipment's getting better, and not going to say we won't have eight people on a boat with only four life jackets that we have to <laughs> issue some yeah. some uh, some safe driving citations to. But uh, it's getting better and better, and uh, people are, are using 
some common sense and trying to keep themselves out of trouble. Well, Chuck, Ricky, uh, Ricky taught us before you got online that he basically taught taught you everything you know about alligators. <laughs> oh, he did. There is no doubt, absolutely no doubt. And he, he even pointed out that the Alabama regs for alligator hunting look remarkably similar to the reg book from Mississippi. <laughs> Why reinvent the wheel? <laughs> hey, hey. hey, I think it's great. You know that these agencies are working across state lines. You hear about him working with Georgia and Florida and Mississippi and Alabama. You know, that's really to. what it and, takes. And yeah. like I said, Chuck, this is Ricky. Uh, <laughs> you know, we got our ideas from the state of Georgia, and we, you know, massaged them a little bit and made it fit for Mississippi. Uh, Alabama took what Mississippi had and did the exact same thing, and that's the unique thing about state wildlife mm-hmm. agencies. There is, and like he said, there's no reason in reinventing something that's already working. But does something that works in one place work everywhere? No, it does not. What happens in Louisiana is not a good fit for Mississippi. It's not a good fit for Alabama. But um, that's what these wildlife agencies are doing. And it and it's 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 an I, I, I appreciate Chuck. Uh, and what they've done. Uh, we're just part of a great conservation success story. Uh, people way before us got this thing started, got this rolling. Uh, they recognized the issues that were, uh, you know, a problem for the alligator population and it's, it's, it's historical uh, where it was going. And uh, we're just, the torch was handed off to us and we're just carrying it. We all doing that. Absolutely. And well, and what works for Ricky? Like I said, we're at the preference point stage. I know he went through that years ago. We'll probably end up the way the way he is now, but every state has to go through their progression. But you can, the more I'm in this line of work and the more I'm dealing with people in other states, all you have to do is change the name of one legislator, one angry constituent, and and Mississippi goes through the same thing Alabama does, or North Carolina goes through the same thing that we do. So going to these uh, conferences that we have with all of our state counterparts gives us the idea to listen to what worked for them, what didn't work for them, and then we can we can take it and mold it to hopefully what works for Alabama. And, you know, misery loves company, so we <laughs> go listen to the same stories that, Happens in Alabama, happens in Mississippi, so uh, it it is good. And Alligator is one of the biggest success stories. I mean, it was on the brink, and now we probably got more than's been in the history of of the U.S. So it is a huge success story. Right. What a great story! What a great animal! Yeah, yeah. I just it is a it really is a fascinating, really story. fascinating story. Yeah. Really is. Well, Chuck, we appreciate you bringing on here, Ricky. You got anything else you want to say to Chuck before we let him go? Just uh, wish them best luck. I know uh, a lot of people in my uh, profession uh, look up to what Chuck is doing and what he's been able to do in the state of Alabama and uh, look forward to working with him in the future. Yeah, well, we got two bright uh, law enforcement, wildlife biologists, state representatives here. And, we, and I think it's important that we say to the people listening to this podcast, support your local game warden. No you know, doubt that's, about that's it. That's so and important. And your game agencies. They don't even, nobody realizes the work that they're doing out there. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not just a, a law enforcement end of things. They're working out there to to create more opportunities for everybody. So, and work in the best interest of the wildlife. So mm-hmm. who can argue with that? 
Not me. A bunch of people. You want to live? <laughs> I, don't think we, I don't think we got long enough. <laughs> All right, Chuck. Thanks, Chuck. We appreciate you, buddy. Take, take All right, care. man. Thank you. Yes, See you, Ricky. See you, man. He's always quick to get something like that. Yeah, he's got to quip now. There's no doubt about yeah. that. Yeah, he does. <laughs> it's so, hilarious. Well, look, what questions, uh, what have we not asked you that you think we ought to get you to explain or tell us? Or, Lanny, is there some biology that you learned about that we hadn't touched on? Uh, I mean, I, you know, I, everything I remember from the um, the school, you know, we've kind of touched on. But, I mean, there's obviously Ricky's uh, a plethora of information. Yeah. Well, the school is is or, or the alligator training course is is something I really want to plug. Um, in the early years, it was a mandatory thing. If you got a permit, you had to come through the class. If mm-hmm. you didn't come through the class, you didn't receive a permit. Uh, we've changed that now. When when things have gotten so large as they are, we're now looking at a thousand, nearly a thousand permits every year. Um, you know, we've we've had over five thousand people that went through that training course and through the process of so many hunters that were what I call networking. Uh, you know, one person gets a permit, but I've got five or six folks that go hunting with me. Well, that's five or six more people that gain some experience. And then the next year they all put in. And uh, so it works out. So we we eventually changed it to where the alligator training course was not mandatory. Uh, it was voluntary. Uh, with COVID-19, we had to make some adjustments last year. And we've now got the alligator training course on a set of videos, YouTube videos that are uh, accessible on our webpage, mdwfp.com slash alligator. There's 11 uh, segments of video training that you can go through and, and watch at your own time, 24 hours a day, 365 a year. And um, they range from everything from the introduction of the history of alligators and the biology of alligators to Capture methods, how to dispatch your alligator, boating safety, processing your alligator, skinning your alligator. It's all on there. And so uh, it takes quite some time to go through it. The alligator training course itself was three and a half to four hours long. So uh, we cover it all. And uh, I tell people, if you haven't read the regulations and you haven't watched the alligator training course, wait till you do that before you ask me any questions because the majority of every question you might have is already in there. I'm them YouTube people are everywhere, aren't they, Bob? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. Well, so that, that, you know, that's, a, that's an amazing asset. And now people all over can watch that at one time. You're not uh, having right. to go give a course somewhere at the Okra Fighting, you know, Fighting Okra University. It was a great day, but yeah, it was good. It's good people can get access to the information because, you know. I heard a rumor we were going to be Eating some alligators. Oh, yeah. That is true. We are eating There's gator today. You want to explain that? Yeah, actually, one of our uh, biggest selling products at Gamekeeper Butchery is whole gators. Um, and so we've got one in here today. We've got a wild boar chorizo stuffed smoked it, alligator. Everything has wild boar chorizo. Well, you know, it's it's our, our marquee item, so. Yeah. Well, well you, so we, look, we're, we're cooking this in honor of you, Ricky Flint. Yeah, we hope you'll awesome. stay and, and eat with us. <laughs> I like to eat. And uh, we look, if, if we get a chance to... Uh, to 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 have a game warden dine with us, we're going to take that opportunity. <laughs> Absolutely, sir. So, what have we learned, Neil? Did you learn anything? You've been in here an hour. Tell me, you learned something. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, uh, I learned everything. I, I asked the questions that I that I had for Ricky. He answered them. And so, uh, I, you know what? I learned. I thought these things were a lot older. I thought that that these. 
twelve foot gators were seventy five years old. Yeah. What 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 blows my mind is the difference in a, you know two like you were saying two twelve foot alligators could be four hundred pounds yeah. difference. They could be that. forty years of difference. Mm-hmm. You know. So like like uh, Chuck was just saying the world record alligator that what he thought was about forty something years old. Yeah. Uh, well, people were speculating it was a hundred years old, but it wasn't. You know. But they do speculate they could live a hundred years, and so. I mean, is there is it one of those things where genetics comes into play, where an alligator could be 100 years old and only be 10 feet long, uh, and then the one be 40 years old and be 15 feet long? I think it's just, I guess it's just like deer antlers or anything else, turkey spurs. I think just genetics come into play. You know, some are bigger than others. Yeah, and it's um, it is intriguing. I was thinking the same thing, and it goes back. To the dirt, you know, Ricky said it. Those soils are so good in the Delta. I heard that. You know how good it is in Miller's Ferry. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, and all those Asian carp in the Delta and yeah. on the Mississippi River. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, they get hit getting hit in the face a hundred times a night by those mm-hmm. things over they there. They just probably open them out like a whale and swim around. Well, yeah. you know, through, <laughs> our, through our tagging program, I've, I've had individual alligators that uh, may have been tagged uh, seven, eight years ago, uh, and they only grew four or five inches. Hmm. And was a mature alligator. But I've also had alligators that were may have caught four or five years ago, and they've already grown four or five feet. Um, so, yeah, there is there is definitely individual differences among alligators. Uh, we used to think that female alligators could not possibly grow to six or seven feet in less than 15 years. We know now that there are individual female alligators out there that can exhibit some of the same growth rates that the males do. It's not the norm, but it does happen. And that is the way it is with all wildlife. It is the way with everything. everything You've got the average and there's always outliers. And maybe that alligator that was harvested in Alabama was one of those outliers. Mm. Uh, I could believe that it was 26 years old. I could believe it was 106. Mm -hmm. Uh, It could be either way. Isn't an alligator's eyes an unusual color? So they glow red at night. Yeah. Reddish orange. Yeah, they're kind of, I guess they're, they kind of have a, a bronzish look uh, in the daytime. Yeah. But but at night, they're, at night, they're, they're oh, very yeah. distinguishable. Yeah, it they're can red. be anything from a green to an orange color. Okay. Huh. If they're, and, and in my experience, uh, when you're shining at night and they're at a great distance away and the eyes shine extremely bright, extremely yellow. That's going to be your larger alligators. That's a that's a hunter tip. There you go. Write that one up. Write that down, Matt. That's good. Put that down, Matt. Love it. Well, uh, until they get a gator season during the day, I'm I'm just going to stay at home. (laughs) See, I'm I'm the I'm the biggest you know sleeper at night. It is, but I get fired up to stay up all night and hunt alligators once a year. Yeah, it's a blast. It's a blast. It sounds exhausting, Bobby. Bobby, It is very exhausting. I got a great idea for Bobby. when we started the podcast, you were looking at these hooks, and you said those things are big enough. looks like you could hook a body on the bottom of the water. So I think uh, in your next murder mystery novel, I hey, think uh, yeah. maybe an alligator hunter is out at night, hooks a body, you know, and then starts the investigation. I mean, Ooh, that's I a see great storyline. That's you know, the wheel spinning. Yeah, that's really you can, good. You can incorporate yeah. a character uh, like Matt. You could put him in the movie yeah, since he's got a tag this year. He yeah. could be the— 
kind of the, the guy that snags the body and then yeah. the gator line instead of the dummy <laughs> well, that's line. a great idea <laughs> I love and it. then dudley can be the lead investigator on the case uh so let's not get carried away you're gonna owe neil some royalties on this one <laughs> yeah. I can tell. yeah well you know one thing before we wrap this thing up we all we've got a sponsor of the that we've got to mention and uh onyx would be a big part of these hunts at night no it would be question super, about super, it we'll, super helpful i'll have to have my phone charged to the max because we'll be in rural areas but we'll be using Onyx all the time. Yeah, and I'd also encourage look, the Leopold binoculars. Gotta have optics too. I, I would think right at the dusk, and, it, and and I would think that you could probably look at an alligator's eyes through through some of these binoculars. <laughs> anyway, but we wanted to to mention Leopold, and we wanted to mention Onyx. But we've had a lot of fun. We want you to stay and eat with yeah. us. It's been great. This yeah. is. Uh, is there anybody you want to give a shout out to at all? Uh, I already mentioned the Mississippi Alligator Hunters Facebook page. Um, there's a great business in uh, Ridgeland, Mississippi called Gator Archery. Uh, they are a great proponent and advocate for alligator hunting in Mississippi. And uh, they're, they're doing a great job uh, outfitting these alligator hunters. They also assist us by helping uh, weigh and measure alligators during the alligator hunting season. So they're another source of uh, getting your alligator certified. If you Take your alligator by their business. Uh, they'll they'll help you out. Uh, there's also a couple of uh, businesses in the state of Mississippi that we cooperate with uh, for processing. Uh, Red Antler Processing in Yazoo City uh, is is going to be open this year. They're going to uh, accept alligators to do custom meat processing. Also, uh, they'll buy the alligator uh, from you for uh, harvesting the meat. You'll be able to retain the head and skin if you want to. Uh, there's also uh, Woodrow Kane down in Port Gibson. He'll be processing alligators this year. Uh, we provide that information to alligator hunters on the uh, on the website uh, as a source of information for them to be able to have something to do with their alligator, help them dispose of it. Awesome. That's great. Well, we've learned a lot. It's been really interesting. I can't wait to yeah. go. Mac, we're depending on you to kill an alligator. And then, of course, Jason will listen to this, and we're Uh-oh. hoping to. Lanny's booking. Every time we do this, it's booking. Such a big gambler. Well, Ricky, we've enjoyed having you. Ricky Flint with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Wildlife, Fisheries, Fisheries and Parks. Parks. We're going to get that nailed one day. Yeah. Would you tell the people down there how much we appreciate them letting you come up here? Absolutely. Yeah, we're big fans, and guys, really, it's important y'all support uh, y'all support your local Look, game wardens. So yes, we we love agencies. being able to do this. Appreciate the invitation. I think this is great just to uh, get the information out, not just to people in Mississippi, but people all That's over right. this country, all over this world. This is a unique opportunity, and we're very proud of it. Yep. Thanks, yep. Ricky. Say goodbye, Dudley. Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Mac Mac. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast, and be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine, and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.